So um, my grandfather um, was a paratrooper. Amazing guy, supersonically fit. He could run uh, a mile in just over four minutes, um, and uh, that in 90 something or other. Uh, so he was a paratrooper in the Second World War. Very brave man. He volunteered. He wanted to be the best, uh, and so he became a paratrooper. And um, I think it was in 19, I want to say 1944, uh, there was a big push to fly into the Ardennes. And uh, so my grandfather was in line. He was fully trained. He had all of his equipment, his parachutes ready to go, rifle, the whole shaboodle. And they were all stood waiting to get onto their transport aircraft. And a guy, three in front of him, went to pick up his rifle. And as he picked up his rifle, the rifle went off. It shot him in the leg. Uh, the bullet went through his leg into the guy in front of my grandfather. It went through his calf and shot my grandfather in the foot. Uh, and the three of them were pulled off the line, obviously incapacitated. And in that first wave of going into the Ardennes, my grandfather didn't go. I think uh, I used to sit with my granddad and uh, he's uh, no longer with us, but he would talk about uh, those army days, uh, at, you know, just quietly. And grandma wasn't always in favor of him talking about it. I don't know why. I mean, he'd obviously seen action and uh, he said, you know, um, I lost 50 percent of those men didn't come home, you know, of that initial wave. Um and it suddenly dawned on me that accident probably changed the course of our history, my history. I'm suddenly going, I might not be here if it hadn't been for the bullet, you know. And he wouldn't have, you know, all of that stuff. So this accident potentially changed the course of history. And, and the passage we're going to look at just for a few minutes today is the calling of the disciples, these 12 men. There is nothing accidental when Jesus calls you. It is deliberate. It is strategic. He knows you. He knows these guys. He handpicked them. You know, it is a mod. What he did then has become the model for calling into leadership and development and all the rest of it. You know, so what we're going to look at today changed. It was a deliberate moment that changed the course of history. It is the beginning of the beginning of the church. And great things often come in small packages. I used to say that about my older sister because she's like four foot eight. You know, we, have to, we, have to, we used to call her half pint. But then we'd have to be nice and say, actually, you're beautiful. You're small. We love you. <laughs> great things often come. In small packages. And so from this tiny beginning of 12 people, the great movement that we call the church begins. And that's why we're sitting in these chairs today. Because of what Jesus did in this moment. He called some people to follow him. Called them uh, first and foremost. And we're going to look at three things. To closeness. He then commissions and you can't escape community okay so these are the three c's we'll be looking at today all right so father 
Help us to hear you today. Help me to communicate something of your truth and grace uh, from these words that we love. Bury them in our hearts. Equip us. Encourage us. Fan into some flame, Lord. Passion for you and for your people this morning. Wherever we're at, pray you'd be meeting with us uh, in some way as we go through this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Shall we have a quick look at this passage? We're going to be, you know, you, you know you're getting old, day eh, When you have to dye your beard and wear glasses. <laughs> we believe in being authentic and transparent. So I just get it out there. The staff are going to take the mickey out of me on Monday. They're like, you got no grey in that. You're right. I'm sponsored by Just For Men. Anyway. <laughs> Great. Some things never change. Some things definitely do. All right, let's have a look at this. Matthew, no, Mark chapter 3, okay? And we're going to be hanging out in verse 13. 3.13. Jesus went on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Let me just again. He called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority, to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges. I think they're from Jamaica. Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Brilliant. I mean, you, if you want a nickname, I mean, that is it, isn't it? You'd be like daughter of lightning. You know, I like it. Brilliant. <laughs> Trying to contextualize this. Okay. All right. Uh, Andrew. I guess Andrew, Philip and Bartholomew, they didn't get nicknames. What a shame. Uh, <laughs> Thomas, uh, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. And, bless him, Judas Iscariot, the one who would later betray him. Lots we could say about this. And the thing I want to say just initially is this. It says there, and Jesus called those he wanted to himself. And he calls them out of something. He calls them out of the crowd to him closely. You know, up until this point, Jesus has called a few disciples. You know, he has actually said to a number of people, come and follow me, come and follow me. And a crowd has begun to gather. And if you read in, the, in chapter 3, verses 7 onwards, it just talks about the intensity wherever Jesus went. It just He's getting mobbed. By the crowd to such a degree that he says at one point, hey, listen, lads, get a boat ready for me because this crowd are just like all over me. And, and, and the reality is this. You cannot start a movement with a crowd. But you do need a few people who've got your heart. OK, and so Jesus calls these individuals out of the crowd and the chaos and the mixed motives of the crowd. Let's be honest. Because the crowd are there and it says that they press in to just touch him because they want to get healed. But you know what? Jesus didn't just come to heal people. Jesus came to start a movement of a kingdom. 
And so yes, healing is part of that and dealing with demons is part of that and all of that. But there was more. And so he needed to call some people out of the chaos of all of their own agenda to himself so he could invest in them. And so this is what we see. He calls them out of the crowd to a close adventure with himself. I don't know what life is like for you right now. It might be chaotic. Maybe the crowd has been pressing in. Maybe your head is full of a whole load of other voices. Listen, Jesus wants to call you afresh to himself and say, I want you to know me. You know, all the stuff we're going to talk about, about power and authority, that all, all of it flows from knowing him. Above all, guys, for all of us, whether we're, you know, trying to see this site grow, you know, whatever it looks like, whether we're trying to develop in our leadership, gifting and skills, whether that's here in the church or outside of the church, all of that, the roots of it are intimacy with Christ. And as we grow and as he calls us out of all the other noise and all the other influence, and let's be honest, we have to make time for that, don't we? Jesus says, come, come, I want you to come with me now. And often he withdraws with his disciples to talk to them and they get a chance to question him and say, what about that parable about the seeds and the soil? What's that all about? Or this kingdom, you you mentioned this thing and why why did you pray for that guy and not that guy? Do you see? But unless you're close and living in close proximity, then you wouldn't be hearing Jesus' instruction, his teaching. And you wouldn't understand, you know, you'd be getting up um, when you're close, you start to understand. And actually you become familiar with his voice so that when you're in the crowd, you're not always listening to the crowd. You can hone in on his voice. Listen, intimacy with Christ and intimacy with this book is paramount. But we need to have close proximity. You know, so I look around the room, there's a little baby at the back. And uh, I remember before we had kids. Whoa, that was a good time. <laughs> I love my kids. You ever be there? I, you say this, don't you? I love my kids. But right now, I don't like you. You ever been there? I've been there. All parents have been there. Love is not the issue, but sometimes you don't really like what, that one. Because, you know, for whatever reason. But here's the deal. I remember before we had kids and you'd be like, you'd nip down into, I don't know, mad minis or whatever it was. And they'd be like, all this crying. And, and, and you're just like, oh, that just hurts. That's just noise. And then you fall in love with the beautiful woman. And you, you, you. You have a child. And then at three o'clock in the morning, you're like, this crying, does it ever stop? You know, we came up with, I don't know what you guys are like, but we came up with all sorts of strategies. I mean, all sorts to get our kids to settle. India, who's going to be 16 next year. Scary. Yeah, that's really scary. And uh, I mean, I'm only 28, so get your head around that. So anyway, so here's the thing, right? So here's the thing. India, we had to use the car. So you put her in the car seat and you're driving around Stonehaven at three in the morning. Going, oh, jeez, please go to sleep. Xanthi was even weirder. 
Xanthi, I put her on here. I'd have to walk up and down the steps in the house. Up three steps, down three steps, up three steps, down three steps. Have you ever fallen asleep doing the steps? Here dribbling. Oh, finally. You know, let me tell you, you become incredibly familiar with your baby's cry. And the next time you walk into Mad Minis or you're in a crowd and a bunch of kids, and even amongst the crowd of crying, when your daughter or son starts, you're like, that's my kid. Why? Because we have had close proximity. Now, the deal is this. It's much nicer with Jesus. <laughs> Trust me. He is so much kinder than a screaming child with colic at 4 a.m. But we become familiar with him. And he calls us out of the crowd to know him, to, feel, to hear his voice affirming us so that when we're back out in the world, we're already in, in the zone. We hear his voice, closeness. He's calling us to closeness. And that's why at City Church, we believe in intimacy. You know, when we worship, and if you're new here, and you're like, you see people put their hands up, or closing their eyes, and speaking in tongues, and, oh, you know, we don't want to go through the motions of that, just because we're a charismatic church. We want you to, all of us to be authentic in our expression, and our hunger, and our love for Jesus. You know, I was just thinking, driving here, this is not even in my notes, I fell in love with Victoria. She, I know Victoria, my wife, better than any of you all. And she knows me better than anyone I know. Knowing is a beautiful thing. I feel so privileged to be married to my tour. 20 years on Tuesday. Wow. It is a privilege to know her intimately. It is a privilege when Jesus goes, hey, come, come and be close. I've got so much for you. Closeness. He calls us to closeness. Out of the crowd to closeness because he wants to partner with us. God always. Isn't this amazing? This is the beginning of the beginning of the church. Jesus always starts as he means to go on. He wants to share his kingdom with each and every one of us. But he wants to share with those he knows. Isn't that true? When you know someone, you're willing to give everything, aren't you? Closeness. It's lovely. Here we go. And then as he calls these guys into closeness, you know, he commissions them. It is fascinating that you cannot have an intimate close relationship with Jesus without being caught up with, uh, in his purposes. You see, when I, I know Victoria, I know what her passions are. Because they're interwoven into her. Yeah? When we come and we draw close to Christ, you, you know him personally and intimately, and it's beautiful, but you also meet his purposes. And all the way through the Bible, we see that. Think about it. Moses at the bush. Wow, that's an intimate moment. But I'm now, God's heart is where? In, it's in Egypt. So you're going. Yeah? You meet Jesus. You meet, personally encounter him. You're going to personally encounter the mission and purposes of God. 
And the amazing thing is this. What we see here is that we get to play our role in it. That the God of heaven wants to partner with us. And let's be honest, you know, some of us have, have, have got to know some of the characters who he called. And every single one of them is flawed. He calls imperfect people. And he commissions those that are they're not the full article. <laughs> let's put it that way. Let's be honest, some of them are not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But thank goodness. Listen, if there's anything you, you could take away today is this. Some of us think we have to somehow attain the grade and somehow become a particular, like work towards perfection before God wants to use us. Jesus starts as he means to go on. He calls imperfect people and commissions them to his purposes. He did that then, and he's still doing it. He doesn't wait for us to somehow try and work it out and somehow become this particular person. No, no. He empowers imperfect people. Because he's a generous, trusting God. On the drive out to Inverurie today, I, was, I had to go via GP to drop something off. And as I pulled into our street, I, I looked up and there was a car and it had a ticket. You know, the yellow ticket. You know, it's like, oh no. And as I drove up, I thought, I felt like the Lord just spoke to me very briefly. Just one of those, you know those little fleeting moments. You're like, is that you? I think it is. He said, there are people who expect to get a ticket from God. In fact, the, they believe that the posture of God is that he's waiting and looking and he can't wait to slap a parking ticket on your life. And he said, I don't do that. I put invitations down, not tickets. You see, our perception of the Father and the, sometimes the perception of Jesus, he is, he's looking to highlight our imperfections, where he actually does the absolute opposite. He says, even though you're imperfect, even though you've made mistakes, even though you're a, you, you're, you're, you're a work in progress, I'm giving you an invite to join me, and I want to empower you to do the things I do. That's the Jesus that we know. That is the Jesus of the Bible. He's not the Jesus that comes going, you screwed up again, there's another ticket. No, he comes and he says, there's an invite to join me. To join me in doing what I do. You know, in chapter one, he comes to Peter and Andrew and James and John on, on the beach, doesn't he? And he says, hey, lads, come follow me. He says, follow me. I will make you fishes of men. In other words, I'm calling you, you respond, that's all I want from you is availability, and then the words, I will make you. Listen, you can go straight back to Genesis chapter 12, when, when God says to Abraham, I'm calling you, 
I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will multiply you. It's all him, not us. Wonderful, isn't it? So for some of us that have been living with tickets on our windscreens of life, I want to say to you today, Jesus comes to you and he says, that's not a ticket of condemnation. That never came from me. I want to give you a ticket of invite. Jesus comes to imperfect people. He says, and I delegate my authority so that you would do what? Be and speak good news to the world. Jesus gives authority to tell the world and to demonstrate to the world who he is, what he's done, to be the living invite. Isn't that wonderful? And he uses you and me, imperfect people, to do it. I love my Jesus. I don't know what you think about that, but I just think, wow, I would not trust me with any authority. He does. And the beautiful thing is this, and I won't rest on this too long, but in Luke chapter 17, you see, we want to bring joy to Jesus in our lives, don't we? We want to plead. In Luke chapter 17, after this commission moment, it says the guys go out and they do what Jesus is. And they return utterly surprised. They're like kids coming home to dad going, what you said has just happened. I can't believe it. We prayed and people who were ill got wet better. And we, we went and this guy was a bit freaky with a twitch in the back. And we said, get out. And the demon left. You know, they're really like, we did what you said and it actually happened. And then in verse 21 of Luke 17, it's beautiful. It says this, at this time, Jesus, full of joy. I think it's the only time in the, actually says that. And it says, full of joy, the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. And this was for your good pleasure. How amazing is that? When we do and we take Jesus at his word, imperfect that we are and we go and do it and the response because their response when they come back is we can't believe it jesus says listen just be more grateful that your names are in the book of life and he is just absolutely ecstatic and joyful like a dad or a big brother should be when the kids get it you know, sometimes the posture of the church and each as individuals is this. I'm so worried how to say certain things. You know, whether it's, you know, um, giving out Christmas flyers. You know, oh, what if somebody asks me a question? I don't quite know the answer to it. You know, how, Or a, a colleague or a neighbor, you're having a conversation and you have that moment inside where you're like, this is a moment I can, I can maybe give them my testimony and explain something. And inside all the fear and the anxiety suddenly kicks in, doesn't it? And the crowd comes crashing in and you're like. <gasps> Listen, the posture of the father is this. If you just start to begin to try your best, tell them in your own words. Do you not think the father can fill in the gaps? I think so. Because his posture is I give you authority. Have a go 
Trust me. And when you trust me in those little baby steps, you're going to be surprised I'm with you. But you've got to go. Some of us want the intimacy. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, it's great. Oh, you know, a nice hug from Jesus every Sunday. We like that. But none of us are actually prepared to go. These things come to you see what's happening here. When we fall in love with Jesus, we can't help falling in love with, with the harvest. They go together. Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, Look, there's the harvest, guys. That's where I'm going. I love the Father and the Father loves the harvest and the people and the crowd. And we're going there to bring some out. Just as I've called you out. Are you with me? And so he calls us to closeness and then he commissions us. Oh, and then the crazy thing is this. It's all done in community. It's not done as individuals. Can you see that in the passage? And then he calls Peter, James, and John, and, you know, all these guys. And look at the list that he calls. Twelve individuals, twelve imperfect guys, twelve very different men. Diversity. In fact, some are almost diametrically opposed you see, Jesus is calling these individuals, right? And in their hearts, like for all of us, there is something in the hope of their lives that is connecting with the hope that Jesus is declaring. There's a hope and there's a future and there's something about this Jesus that's in them. And they go, I recognize that and I want that. You know, freedom and liberty and intimacy, a relationship with God. Wow, I want all that. And Jesus is declaring all of those things. So in each of these 12 guys, there is something welling up in them yeah, that is fulfilled in this Jesus. And the reality is those 12 men are brought into the close relationship with Jesus and they're brought together. And I guarantee you, they look at each other and go, what the heck am I doing in a room with you? Because, you know, the reality is we can choose our friends, but we cannot choose our family. And Jesus is the head of the family. And if Jesus has called you to follow him, then you have every right to be in the family. Look at Peter wasn't perfect. He's a risk taker. You know, he's a risk taker. He's all heart and sometimes he's all mouth. <laughs> you know, we could go through all of the disciples, couldn't we? You see, John, we just talked about, you know, son of thunder. I wonder why Jesus actually said that. I mean, he, he doesn't sound like a son of thunder when he's got his head on Jesus' shoulder and it's like, I love you. I'm with you. I wonder if it's because this guy, he stirs things up. He's a thinker, but he's going to press some buttons. Or maybe he just used to fall out a lot with his brother. Flipping they're at it again, Mary, or at whatever, you know, Martha. Or I'm just picking on those names because they're the ones, you know. Whatever their mum's name was. Oh, they're at it again. They're at it. They're falling out now. You know, thunder, thunder, honestly. Make a right racket. I don't know if John's dad was from Yorkshire or what. <laughs> but you, you see what we're saying? And Jesus just picks up and goes, you know what? They're passionate. They're, they're like, hmm, we want to make a difference. But we want to take all of that passion and that leadership ability 
You see, I think most of these men would have been leaders in their own right. The issue is this, what kind of leader are they going to be? Are they going to lead people towards Christ or away from? I have met so many people over the years who have gifted leaders. But they end up leading people not closer. That's me. So let's just look at the diversity for a minute. of Who's in the room? Jesus chose them to be in the room. They probably looked at each other and went, I wouldn't have chosen you. <sighs> Dang. Look at him. You know, think about for a second. Here is Matthew, a tax collector. This guy has capitulated. He's a survivor. He's thinking, the Roman oppression is never going to end. So what's the point in fighting it? Let's just use it. And if no one else is going to, I might as well. And so I'll be the tax guy and I'll make a bit on the side. Why? Because I'm just going to make the best of an absolutely horrible situation. And if I do that, I know I'm going to get tagged as a traitor. People cross the road when I'm out. People do not like me, but I'm getting rich. You see that? I'm going to survive. I don't want this. I don't really want to choose it. But actually, I'm in it to try and do the best. But I wish there was another way. And suddenly, Jesus arrives at his tax booth to offer him another way. And in that moment, he says, I'm going to rename you Levi. Well, actually, he calls him by his real name. You see, Jesus looks beyond all the shame all the mistakes, all of the mismotivations, and he calls you by your real name. And he says, the world thinks you're a traitor, but you're actually a priest. And I'm going to make you one. You come follow me, I'm going to make you into the man. I will make you into the person that, that God's called you to be. Oh, so Matthew suddenly, beyond the shame, the rejection, is seeing something in Jesus. Yeah? Freedom and a new identity, a new possibility. Tax collectors weren't even allowed to go to the temple to worship. They were excluded. Excluded from the religious fraternity. They weren't even allowed near it. Here is a man who's been pushed out. Yes, by some of his own decisions. And Jesus calls him back in. Great, isn't it? Let's just take for a second Simon the Zealot. Oh, yeah. So Simon the Zealot, the freedom fighter, is in the same room. Opposite ends now, the scale. Guaranteed, Simon is like, hey, by the way, I've got a mandate from God. I've got a mandate from God. In fact, we all have a mandate from God to take on this oppression. And let's be honest, you know, the mandate is the most of the, whole, of, of the Old Testament. Because let's be honest, some of the greatest leaders of the Old Testament were warriors. Yeah, David took on Goliath. He didn't, this just wasn't just a pray for, David, for Goliath moment. He actually had a sling. <laughs> Joshua went in and took out Jericho. And you know, you could do the whole thing. You could work your way through. He's going, we have a mandate to overthrow this government. We have a mandate to take up arms and the sword. God has given us a mandate to do it. That's, that, that is the zealot's position. And they were fiery. And yet, here is Jesus proclaiming liberty and freedom. And he's going, oh, I get that. I get that. I'm the, that's my language. 
I'm in there. I want that. And yet at the same time he's going, when your enemy, when your enemy causes you to sin, forgive him. What? No, 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 no. Freedom and liberty, Lord. What? Can you see the conflicting gig? And yet he's going, I want that. I see a freedom in this Jesus. It seems to be that even the religious fraternity are giving him a hard time, or the Roman authorities are giving him. He, it seems like he's beyond that. He's otherly, and he has an authority that deals with evil in a way that we have never seen before. I want that, but how do we get freedom, Lord? Can you see what's going on here? Jesus calls these guys individually, and then he calls them into a community. <laughs> and then here's the thing: their love for Jesus. Holds them together. Or maybe more importantly, Jesus' love for them does. Maybe it's both. This is a diverse community of imperfect people with mixed motives. But as they pursue Jesus, yeah? If there was a big triangle I could put up here and put Jesus at the top and put you and me down the bottom, that as we as individuals pursue Jesus, what happens? As we climb this into closeness with Christ, we get closer. Because we're being made into his image. Our character is changing. Our understanding of the kingdom of God and his plan and his future and his redemptive purposes in the world become clearer. And actually we start to let go of some of the things that we thought we understood, but actually we don't. Because now we're growing in a deeper understanding of who he is. Yeah? And that means as we do that, some of the things that we have held tight to have become conflicting areas in the community. We start to let go of. I think there was, and we know this, there was conflict in this community over the next two years or so. You remember? They were having a walk. And the boys are having a chat. And they're like, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Who's going to be the greatest? Hey, can I, can I sit with you on the right or on the left when you come into your kingdom? You know, come on. And Jesus is like, you don't, you don't quite understand what you're asking. You know, that's the conversation. They're saying, who's the greatest? We want to be the greatest. We want the position and the power. Come on. You see, the moment they take their eyes off Jesus and start looking at themselves and their own stuff, their own wants, it immediately brings conflict in the community. Fascinating, isn't it? And what I would encourage us as a community to do is, there will always be, at times, clashes in our community. We're people, we're different, we see things differently. But we need to hold that lightly and say, Lord, I'm pursuing you. I'm pursuing you and I'm going to hold this lightly. Because when we do that, in my experience, we push through. We remain united. God, the Spirit of God in me, is the same as the Spirit of God in Julie. And if we're having a little conflict here, if we both go, I'm pursuing Jesus, you're pursuing Jesus, let's cry out to God for wisdom in this, I guarantee you, if we really do it, we will find a sense of common unity. Community. The amazing thing is this. We want to be close to Christ. We want to have the authority and the power to do His stuff. 
But the reality is this. The packaging is community and family. And if we don't have community and family, then I don't think we get the other stuff. Those three things come together. We're a body. Jesus is the head. Yeah? And so those three things are alive, but they come in a package of community and, to, and, and in the body. And that's why, guys, just to wrap up, we have this really high view of these three things at City Church. We're not perfect. We want each and every person to pursue Jesus. He invites you into closeness. Let's be authentic in that. Let's be transparent in it. You know, it's not just about Sunday worship and how we do that and how we express it. But we want to be close. And we want to fan into flames that and to create space for that. Hence, on Sundays, we worship the way that we do because we want people to experience intimacy with Jesus. Because everything flows from that. But also, we want to be a people who get to play. I will make you fishes of men. When we fall in love with Jesus, he commissions us to do the kind of stuff that he does. Listen, there is a whole load of stuff that we are not doing that I believe he wants us to do. And I'm not just talking about the supernatural acts. I would love loads more. But I think there's a whole load of other stuff to do with how we develop as a community and as a body. How we demonstrate righteousness and goodness and justice to the world. Yeah? A city on a hill cannot be hidden when the community of God, living in unity, full of power and grace, pursuing him with closeness. You cannot hide that. You can't hide it. And so to wrap up with, you know, uh, I was sat with a friend of mine who's a Church of Scotland minister. He's a South African. He's a great guy. He's a godly man. And he said, and we were talking about, we want to see revival. We want to see God do stuff. I don't know what you guys think about this, but my theology is probably getting to a place where revival and God's move doesn't happen out there in some detached manner. It happens in us and through us. God has always used people to bring his kingdom into the world and to demonstrate it. If we want to see King's Wells explode and this whole area, he's going to do it through his church. Now, I know he could send a few angels around the place or wake a few other people up. He's done it in the Bible. We're coming to Christmas. He's, you know, he did it then. He did it to Cornelius, who was pursuing him. He sent an angel, said, a guy called Peter is going to come and knock on your door. And it's all going to happen. God can do it independently. But most of the time, he uses his people. So the question I have, I'm asking myself is, am I close as I can be? He's called me to closeness. And I think that, you know what, we're, we're often the barrier to that in relationships. Isn't it? We choose to give ourselves or not. We choose to kind of be a little bit distant or not for varying reasons. I think actually we choose to walk or not. But if we walk, power's there. Often we don't. But we want it. I think he wants to take us to that place. And actually, we need to guard, guard this unity, togetherness in it and to honor one another because Jesus has called you. And who am I to say he hasn't? No, no, Jesus has. 
and we need to work that stuff through. I was just at Inveruri, 25 years I've been around this church. Gordon Merchant is sat there. We've been leaders and elders together for a long, long time. Steve, you, you, we've known each other a long time. Listen, this our church history is not one of total peace. But there's a bunch of people that have committed to work through and not let go. Okay? And that is what Jesus is saying. We don't have the option to get out of the community. If we want his closeness and we want his power, it comes in a package. All right. I hope I've encouraged your hearts this morning, you know, and uh, maybe just specifically this thing about some of us feel like we're just living with the ticket. Whereas actually today he's saying, I've got a great big invitation for you. All right. Why don't we stand?